0: Welcome to the Conversions Podcast, where we discuss conversion rate optimization and the latest tips, technologies, and actionable strategies that you can actually use to get more of your website's visitors to take action. And now, your host, Francis Teo. Welcome to another episode of the Conversions Podcast. We have a very special data-focused episode today. But before we get started, let's take a look at some iTunes reviews. We have a review from Jonas from Sweden. He says, being a former podcast host, I know just how much time it takes to come out with good content and get great guests to the show. Francis makes this podcast one of my favorites, providing great insights and thoughts that I can take action on directly. Thanks for the kind words, Jonas. If you would like to have your review read on air, please leave us a review at conversionspodcast.com review. Now, on to today's episode. Today, we have a very data-focused episode, which is a bit heavier than what we usually have on this show, but I believe data is such an important part of conversion optimization that we cannot just ignore it. So today, we have with us a very special guest to talk about data. I'm happy to welcome Shayna Karp to the show. Shayna is an analyst and marketer with a strong background in data, and she's also one of the co-founders of Bayesian Witch a data science on demand API that helps marketers, growth hackers, and developers optimize their apps and sites for conversions. Welcome to the podcast, China.
1: Thank you. Nice speaking to you.
0: Thanks for coming on. It's great to have you here. No problem. So could you tell us... How you going to data science and a conversion optimization space?
1: I actually got started by installing and implementing a lot of analytics products. Um, once you start installing and implementing, uh, the first thing you, people usually ask if they want to do it the best quality way is what are they going to measure and why are they going to measure it? So you end up talking to a lot of people about how they want to com- consider a conversion and what statistic what basic measurements they think are important and what statistical measures after the fact they think are important. That's how I got into that.
0: So how long have you been doing this? I've
1: been doing this like on and off since like right after I graduated college, the implementation side and the developing of reporting. Honestly, like I started parts of that even in college. Um, I was doing work about um, data visualization from a Marxist interpretation um, due to the fact that my college was very theory oriented. So like... It feels like forever. I, like, I feel like I don't know any part of my adult life without it.
0: <laughs> so in terms of years, how many years has it been?
1: Like I guess max five years, but like I've always done things a little bit more independently. I've discovered like people ask me like, give me a CSV. I'm happy with a CSV.
0: So could you give us an introduction to what data science is?
1: I was actually having a discussion with my co-founder just before this call. He officially is a data scientist in the very old school Definition, which is a statistician with usually a master's or above level who can also deploy code. So, the issue with this is that what is a statistician? And then, what does it mean to have somebody who can deploy code? Like, for some startups and for some agencies, I would be considered a statistician, even though I do not have a degree in statistics, just because of the amount of stuff I've picked up over the years. And I happen to be able to write somewhat deployable code, except that I probably would want some severe QA over it. Meanwhile, like my co-founder is somebody who's been coding for like around 20 years since he's been coding since like middle of middle school, which is like roughly 12 years old if you're not an American. And then he went for a PhD in mathematics and physics and mathematics or physics in an area closely relating to statistics. It's a bit of a difference. So... It's hard to say what data science is right now. So I wish I could give a firmer answer in that regard, but it's become an overhyped term
0: in a lot of ways. Why is deploying of the code important to data science? So a computer scientist who knows statistics he would not be a data scientist.
1: I would say also that depends. Like one of my best friends is actually somewhat in that category. She's getting her PhD in computer science in an area closely related to machine learning, but she can't really write deployable code by herself. That's not what PhDs do, apparently. The reason deployable has to do with the way business intelligence works, as well as the fact that I'm sure many people in the conversion space have been noticing, but definitely on the engineering side, is that statistics are becoming a more integral part of products. And how they react to people. So, being able to implement them in code in a deployable way means you have somebody who has the engineering talent to make the statistics usable, rather than siloed away. And people go, "That's nice in that report." So,
0: you use the term "deployable code." What does this exactly mean? Is, is it the same as a writing code? It's just another word.
1: It's writing code. Like, so I write code, right? But like, I write, I like. I recently wrote a program that are going to be open sourcing soon for developing thousands upon thousands of keywords if you want to do search engine purchase it like google purchases online for ads however that piece of code is not the same thing as somebody who wants to have a dynamic web page based on somebody's behavior on that site so like that code can't really be integrated too closely as it stands right now into some sort of larger web product so that the statistics that the data that you're gathering, these statistical data points are being used in algorithmic ways. That's what it means to be deployable. That's very like unusual for a lot of people in conversion optimization for what I'm being told outside of this, right? Just it's not the approach as it is right now. What do you mean? Um, I think it's a little weird for people still. To just like 10 years ago, it was very weird to have automated bidding for AdWords and then to have people who like build out these humongous systems to figure out what's the ideal price for a keyword given this, you know, advertisement. What is that? Like people build these things. It's still a little weird conceptually speaking to have like your entire site uh, react to some user behavior based on like statistical information about not just that user, but other similar as well as different users.
0: I think this this kind of approach is quite slowly developing, yeah.
1: Yeah, that is true. Um, A lot of it has to do with the growth of awareness of how important data is for conversions and how it's a very critical part of the conversion process and how hard it is to manipulate
0: it as a human. Okay, so this would be a good time to ask, like, how can data science help with website conversions?
1: The smart answer is the data science because it's doing deployable code as well as using probably more advanced algorithms than the average business intelligence analyst and conversion specialist uses can pretty much start doing hyper-targeting on a website so one of the things that the end goal of bayesian which is for example is that we will know your customers so well that your landing pages are customized to that person given a certain set of choices so they are at the maximum likelihood of conversion that's impossible to do right now
0: okay so how far along are we to this ideal state
1: How far along are we? We are at the point where we're deploying partial code bases to anybody involving in affiliate marketing. If they're on WordPress, they can start doing automated testing of calls to actions for, you know, links. We are about 90% ready to launch a special testing tool for titles for WordPress. But we could give you over... Like right now, we can give you over API access to have basically the same algorithmic engine that BuzzFeed and Upworthy uses to drive
0: people to a site. Nice, nice.
1: Thank you. If you would like to try it, call me or email me.
0: Oh, I don't do any more affiliate marketing anymore, but I'm sure a couple of our listeners would be interested.
1: Or content marketing. Like I'm sure plenty of people would like to know what is the ideal title to most likely cause a convert, cause somebody to click on Facebook. And we have a testing tool that like, Basically, you just plug in it into a WordPress blog and write two titles and that's all you have to do. I mean, like you have to seed it, of course, like sending it to some people. But beyond that, like we're tracking all that data. We could, we choose it. We do this automatically. It's nice.
0: So how does it actually work?
1: We're using banded algorithms plus some other stuff. Um, The other stuff being stuff you use when you're building financial trading firms that are doing high frequency trading for options. That's about as much as I can tell you. So
0: it's like a secret algorithm.
1: Yeah, it's partially secret. Okay.
0: I will tell you it's built Uh, by
1: probably Hacker News' number one data scientist, according to the upvotes on Hacker News of random data scientist posts. Or among them.
0: Okay, you don't have to tell us the the exactly how it works, but maybe a high-level overview like, you know how does a bandit algorithm work and
1: So what's a bandit algorithm? So this is actually a really good question. So, a bandit algorithm is a form of AB testing or and multivariate testing as we call it. And it does something very specific in that it causes it's called mathematically minimizing regret. And what this practically means is is that usually the standard way of doing an AB test you have to pre-calculate out a sample size and you can't stop the test until all samples have been sampled. This is due to the mathematical model that an A-B test is in, which is called a frequentist model. It has some specific ways of viewing the world. And one of them is, is that like the test itself is sort of exists in sort of this perfect world, which doesn't exist, right? Like it doesn't, exist. It's really, so what ends up happening for most people is that it's very hard to control all these other things that are going on in the test. And then also like another really big issue is that people like peeking in the middle of tests and you absolutely can't do that. You can't stop a test in the typical AB test. You get the entire set because for all you know, that spike that you're seeing in conversions is just a total statistical you know, blip. This happens a lot. Plus, if you peak, you have to suddenly get more samples. Turns out you really don't want to peak. No peaking. (laughs) Anyway, so a Bayesian model, you could also run a straight A-B test on a Bayesian model. Um, And a Bayesian model makes these biases sort of explicit. It's based on a statistical model developed by a minister from the early modern period in Great Britain known as Thomas Bayes. You should look him up. He's kind of cool. And the basic idea is that You state your biases, um, which is usually some like set of like a curve, like an example would be like, I think this link 90% of times will have a click through rate of 0.1 and then 5% of times it will have a click through rate of 0.2 and another 5% of times it will, you know, have a click through rate of 0.05, 0.05, right, and have this range of probabilities, and then every single time I run the test, I get an update of this range, and eventually it will converge, like, a little, like, fine line with, like, a very long tail as a graph to the most likely place where your true, convert, your true click-through rate is, right? So you could do this on multiple things at the same time, and you just keep equally doing it. Like you show one version, then you show another version, and, you know, standard A-B test. What a bandit test does is based on the delta or the difference in overlap in these two potential curves, it starts shifting over to one version where it's not at 100% clear if it's the right because there could be a wide space that they're overlapping, but one is clearly starting to convert at some space that's higher, faster, right? For everyone is told. So over time, the algorithm starts showing the one that has the lower click-through rate or the lower money-making rate or the lower whatever rate faster moves in that direction. It's a form of machine learning, very simple form of machine learning via A-B tests. This does what we call minimizing regret. So suddenly this algorithm stops showing some version of your test by itself, which isn't working anyway during the testing period. Does this make sense? Are there any questions?
0: Well, it makes sense to me. I'm trying to figure out whether I should uh, try to clarify a few things.
1: If you guys need graphs or something, I can send you some. So,
0: okay. Uh, well, yeah, that, that'd be great.
1: Um, so we may have graphs. So you can see, like, the difference of what is a bandit algorithm. My co-founder wrote a great post about what it is, but it's very detailed mathematically, which may be not so cool on your end.
0: I'll post it up anyway. <laughs> send it to me.
1: Okay. I mean, like, it's super, int- it's super interesting. Um, but, like, at the core of what we're doing are forms of bandits so that the process of, you know, choosing in testing and automating is just it's really it makes your life very simple um there are cases where you'd want to use a more standard a b test if it is you probably should still do a bayesian a b test since apparently you need less samples and also you can peek. i like peeking, so it, it's helpful but uh, there are very few products on the market in either of these areas at all right now
0: so if i'm just going to like summarize what you said essentially uh, your bandit algorithm your bandit plus secret algorithm basically optimizes Whatever you want to optimize automatically by assigning a heavier weight to whatever is performing better at a time is that very simple version, yeah,
1: yeah, and we're working on a more detailed version of these sorts of algorithms so that you can do multiple optimizations at the same time that are personalized
0: so what's the downside of using such a approach?
1: when things have seasonality
0: okay, let's talk a bit about that, yeah
1: so okay, so seasonality is something you see a lot in data, which is like I get. An example is that like a business, like an e-commerce business for clothing could suddenly get most of its purchases on Mondays from women in like category of like 21 to 35, because they need to have the clothing in before Friday when they're going on a date, right? Like let's pretend this is the case. So when you run your test, and let's pretend that the test only covers like three days and starts self-optimizing. And if one of the days is not Monday for this business, right? Well, then you've just missed a core part of your audience. So you may have the wrong answer because you're – so it's not very good for those sorts of situations. It's very good for situations where, like, for example, you have a sale that's only going to last, you know, a week, and you need to know what's exactly the right line to tell people about your sale so they buy lots of things suddenly – and you only have a week and you like it could take the entire week to optimize like you wouldn't want to do that so you would need bandit algorithms in those cases like another the most famous case though in this case um, is Upworthy right their titles are actually they they have this presentation online where they explain that they have Everybody's seen it at this point where where they explain that like they take 25 titles and they're ab testing all these titles or they're multivariate testing all these titles for like the most Clickiness, right? They're not actually doing a straight A B test. It would take way too long. For the amount of time it takes for them to get the content out and then to generate those pages, they have to be using a banded algorithm. There's no other way to do it from a mathematical perspective.
0: Unless you're someone who is really clicking very fast. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but like at that point, like if you're upworthy, like that may not work for your advertising model, right? But what they're trying to do, particularly on Facebook, is clickiness against Facebook. So they're tracking that data and they're basically doing this very special form of A-B testing known as banded algorithms on these titles automatically. And they probably have a humongous amount of infrastructure and developers behind it. And that's why most people don't do things like that, because that's expensive, unless you're like licensing it, which is what we're trying to offer on the market.
0: It's interesting you bring this up. And I think we have brought it up like one time on an earlier episode, like the difference between a straight A-B testing and a so-called like banded kind of real-time optimization kind of approach. And yeah, it's yeah we talked about seasonality as well, and that is I think that's kind of big because seasonality is inherent in a lot of a lot of tests.
1: Yes, it is. There are ways around it, but most of them are not very good. Um, we're working on a better one as part of like our bigger API push, so that those sorts of issues start mattering less. But again, like seasonality is a huge issue because until you observe that data, a you don't necessarily know if you have seasonality and. B, there's nothing you really can do about seasonality at some level.
0: One thing you mentioned about comparing A/B testing to a real-time optimization approach—is that even the right term to use?
1: It depends on the site. We'll call it that.
0: Do you think it's appropriate to use this term for your software?
1: It's as real-time as you can get. Um, the optimum is like as soon as we get the traffic data, which is effectively real-time. Like I don't think we have very low latency. Let's put that. I've tested latency. It's very low. The issue is are we getting the data? Um, so it really depends on some level on your traffic levels. People with slightly higher traffic levels or, or who are choosing to like optimize one page, for example, suddenly very high bursts of traffic, those sorts of things will effectively see real-time optimization. Um, people who have just like slow and steady, well, they'll see optimization at the same rate as their traffic is, basically.
0: When you compare real-time optimization or your banded approach to straight A-B testing, one thing you mentioned is like seasonality. That's one difference in one whether whether you're going to choose one approach over another. Are there any other issues you should consider?
1: That's the big one. That's really the big one, like the seasonality being making sure you have full coverage of your data. Um, The other one that could be possible is that you have suddenly a weird set of traffic that's atypical for your normal you know, people, then your bandit's going to like going to probably optimize around the weird set of people rather than your normal traffic. So you don't necessarily want that to happen. So that would be an issue.
0: At the the current moment, I still am a bigger fan of straight A-B testing because of these reasons. It turns out like every other test has extreme seasonality or some weirdness in the data
1: one of the reasons we're working on the larger plan with BZ and Which is because of these issues. So we're offering something what we're, we're calling it a multi-bandit internally, which, since it's not a, normally a straight bandit and there's a lot of other things happening underneath mathematically, we're effectively offering personalization, which means we could offer personalization with seasonality. So seasonality, it could be one factor of what causes a conversion. So that, I mean, like there are ways around it, in other words. It's just, you don't usually implement those.
0: This is a- uh, this is an interesting approach
1: thank you but like yeah if it's statistically relevant we will track it basically
0: i mean personally i i use a-b testing and it's what we sell at our agency i'm sometimes i'm uncomfortable with it um because i know it's not perfect it the whole model revolves around like we live in a perfect world you're sampling the same kind of audience all the time from the same population and that's like ridiculous it never happens like the, the type of people that are coming to your website from day to day from hour to hour might like, defer. So it's tricky.
1: I think, like, a Bayesian normal model A B testing as opposed to like a banded algorithm added in may solve some of those issues for you.
0: Are there any off the shelf uh, Bayesian A B testing products?
1: No. Basically, what you'd have to do is um, develop a do I like it script. We have a post that will go up soonish with a script like that. And we'll have a And you'd basically just take your results from like Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer or whatever. And you just continue running the test until the script tells you it's okay to stop the test and what answer is better.
0: So if a Bayesian approach to A-B testing, there would be a need to initialize the initial weights, right?
1: There wouldn't be. For a straight A-B test, there are no initial weights. And what you would probably do instead, like what we would do is we would start with just like a distribution since... Like let's pretend that we were working together on some sort of project for these stores and I think something has a certain distribution and you think it is the exact reverse distribution, right, of potential click-throughs. So that's what the test would do would be cause both of our charts to merge to this exact same place. So actually, like, even though you need some sort of distribution to start, it may not matter what the actual distribution looks like. So this is just going to convert, because it will we'll converge to the final one at the end. It does matter in terms of speed somewhat, but reality is it's like, eh, whatever. But yeah, so, which also makes Bayesian testing interesting because, you know, everybody can have their arguments and we could just map everybody's arguments about conversions and get to an answer where we both agree.
0: Awesome. So let's, we mentioned a couple of approaches here. Um, straight A-B testing, Bayesian A-B testing.
1: Bayesian styles, straight A-B testing, which is known as frequentist. We should be precise. It's called frequentist statistics and frequentist testing. <laughs> For the mathematical school of thought, it's it.
0: Yep. And we have uh, your bandit approach and your bandit plus secret algorithm approach.
1: And then there's also a straight Bayes A-B test, which is run an A-B test, but the way you're measuring conversions at the end results is using Bayes' rule rather than the frequentist approach of like T-Tests and such.
0: Well, since we're on A-B testing and a couple of, well, a lot of listeners are interested in A-B testing, and I read a couple of posts on your blog, what are people doing wrong with A-B testing?
1: most of the, the two biggest ones are the Ethan Miller approach, which is they peak. Another pr- problem that I commonly see is that they're very not strict. Like, like you need to pre-calculate out sample size. You need to know precisely what you're measuring. You need to have a very strong null hypothesis. Most people's are kind of weak, right? They're not explicit enough so that like these biases creep in when stating the strong one. Their a hypothesis. That's a big one, usually. Like it can't just be, I think X has a higher click through rate. It has to be, I think X has a higher click-through rate of x percent
0: so how does peaking change the test if you've already decided the sample size you want beforehand
1: it increases the likelihood of a null positive of a false positive excuse me if you do nothing with it yeah it still increases the likelihood because you think something will happen so you stop the test and if you restart it you would need to have like double or triple the amount of samples you had initially so what ends up happening is that if you peak in a test you basically need to run the test even longer <laughs> which is why you, if you peak if you take a look at the numbers the
0: issue is stopping the test and not the actual peaking right
1: Pretty much the issue is that people argue if they peak. So they have a tendency to stop if they take a look because that's human nature, right? So basically, like you can't have a feeling like you can look at these numbers and say, oh, okay, that's nice. But the test is running. But it's very hard to say that when you're suddenly seeing like a click-through rate go magically up, you want to stop the test and you can't. And emotionally, that's hard.
0: Yeah, I guess it's hard if you you see it performing well and you really, really want to stop the test or something like that.
1: Yeah, and you can't, right? So yeah, there are testing. Again, a Bayesian A-B test, you could do that. You can't do that in a frequency test. It's just not allowed. It totally screws it up. You could just be seeing a total false positive and that's that. Okay,
0: so with determining the sample sizes beforehand, how accurate is this? Because like, let's say you're informally, I guess, if, if you have like lots of seasonality in your data, wouldn't you want to collect more samples to be sure?
1: Yes. So not only do you need to have know you haven't reached the maximum sample size, you also know that you've had maximum coverage in the test. So basically, like just because you have a sample size, a sample size is your minimum, right? That doesn't include other factors that you need to fix for bias, like you know seasonality. So you have to cover both. Uh, a Bayesian test, the only thing you have to cover is seasonality and delta, but delta could be reached at any point in the test, so... You can check, as I said, you can check whatever you
0: want. Right. So the issue, a lot of people, a lot of people ask like, how do you know how long to run the test and you have to run the test for as many samples as you need? One thing that you use to calculate in a more traditional frequentist A, B test would be you need to figure out like, what's the minimum effect you want to measure? How do you know?
1: Correct. That how do you know what the minimum effect is?
0: We don't really know.
1: No, but that's part of how to set up a null hypothesis, though. Like, you need to know the minimum. Otherwise, you, like, the minimum usually, although usually with a frequentist test, the minimum is usually expressed as the p-value, which is also a weird concept. Like, it's a really weird concept, guys. It's like God. Like, God is a weird concept. Basically, a p-value is God or Probably a p value is the likelihood that God gave you the most statistically perfect quarter in the world to flip. What is the likelihood that you'll get ten heads in a row? That's what a p that it's basically that. It's just really weird. It's a really weird idea.
0: <laughs> it's a really weird idea because like it it's like just pick a number. Um I wanna measure a minimum like well it, it's a, it's sort of different. Like I mean, a traditional hypothesis test, let's say you use it in a drug trial or whatever uh more controlled laboratory environment, which is not like the real world environment like let's say you want to test whether this drug improves your reduces your cholesterol by 15 percent. so that's like okay i want to measure at least a 15 difference in effect but when it comes comes to a b test like you'll be like oh well what number do i choose here it's kind of weird that in that way that's why i feel
1: it's very weird again which is one of the reasons why i go back and say I have a Bayesian test. It's explicit. You will know what your click-through rate is. Just choose a difference. Like, if it's 0.01 difference between your two, your control, and your, your test, do you care? You might not. That's okay. And then you just move on. Whereas, if you care a lot about the difference, you'll at least know exactly how much it's giving you for a straight Bayesian A-B test. Like, it's very explicit it solves a lot of these issues so I'm starting to move more in that direction as a result because you know I'm equally annoyed as you are
0: I'm gonna say something like it's probably gonna look quite bad on me but like I guesstimate because it's like you said it's weird so it's like oh you know let's measure 15% increase
1: yeah it's also hard to it's also hard to communicate something I've also realized and communicating these statistics are probably the most critical part of testing no like to a client like critical like explaining what's going on
0: underneath the client doesn't want to know that they just want to know that this is good and we can put it live
1: uh, if I, I have a client who wants to know i like that they tend to ask good questions i like that people
0: they, they ask well you i'm sure you have more sophisticated clients i mean our clients are just they are sophisticated but they're business sophisticated they hire us to do the a b testing because they don't want to deal with that so we get some questions and after explaining you know they, they're happy with that and that's that yeah but i just want to bring this up because like it's very odd it's something i'm comfortable with and i haven't found a way around it i don't think there's a way around it so interesting
1: I I would highly recommend trying like to do a normal A B test and like getting a script from a friend you know, who's a mathematician to give you an answer to like is from a Bayesian perspective like what is your delta what's the difference is it acceptable um, do you not have enough data and or which version is the right version like with an explicit click through rate making these biases explicit I think will solve a lot of the weirdness for you because suddenly it's a do I know versus I don't know.
0: That's well and fine, except that the we have we are stuck. We use optimizely, and it's a great tool. I mean, the statistics is one part of it. I would say it's a very important part of it. But the other part is a technical part where we actually implement it on the website. So as it stands today, a lot of the complex stuff that e-commerce sites do, like AJAX and stuff, we use the platform, and that is a the other important part. Like being actually technically able to. Implement the changes we want to implement
1: using using Optimizely.
0: So we are sort of stuck. We you can have both at the moment. There's no such platform.
1: Well, like you like you just because you're using Optimizely doesn't mean you couldn't use like a Bayesian A/B test. All it means is that you're exporting your results into some sort of like script elsewhere, and that the script is telling you when to stop, as opposed to Optimizely. Like the yeah, optimal data like how many clicks you got how many samples you have those
0: things we export the data and analyze it manually because there are some like duplicate data duplication issues which is not it's not a bug it's just a design and it is quite painful i would say so <laughs> we take the whole all the raw data and we feed like like half a million lines into a script and it's painful i cannot i can express how painful it is but it's painful so
1: i can hear it in your voice and i feel so sorry but like again like these things should be heavily automated and the tools that are on right now just
0: it's fairly automated uh it's a script it's a script but it's
1: and then like imagining a script to you know choose the right answer and you probably be pretty happy rather than having to manually analyze it to figure out what the right answer is
0: I'm keeping my eye out for uh, such solutions I mean you guys are doing the right thing I think but with, for now I'm going to stick with A-B testing for like seasonal and uh, general weirdness kind of thing that I yeah Yeah,
1: as I said setting it up being very strict with your setup for seasonality and samples and all these things tend to resolve some of these issues Just
0: and I was discussing uh, this issue with one of some data scientists, actually.
1: They tend to know a lot. Of, you should make friends with your local data scientist people. They tend to know more about this stuff than you do, and they just don't tell you. because it,
0: One big advantage of uh, A-B testing would be you get an answer. or the other approach is like continuously optimizing, which is better. I don't know. Uh, well, it depends on what you want, right?
1: Well, also, it depends on a lot of things. Beyond that, you want continual... I mean, like, the continuous approach is helpful because, you know, people... I have a pet theory that I'm not necessarily sure that straight A-B testing with all the people and the labor involved is worth it over the long term for a lot of things. It's very expensive when it comes to labor costs. And if you have like an algorithm that just does it, you won't pay for those labor costs. And suddenly everybody will be optimizing pet theory. But that's a different problem.
0: Okay, so... My pet peeve with real-time optimization, bandit algorithms, and what have you, is it, they're always marketed. It's not so much bandit algorithms. There are some like automated regression software, or whatever. There are a thousand and one approaches, but anything that's more is too automated. Like, and it's always marketed as a push button solution. So you just do this and you push the button, and you don't have to understand anything, and it just gets done. I think that's just kind of wrong you need to know what's going on it's good as automated but it doesn't you still have to understand what's going on so that's my thing
1: It's one of the reasons why a lot of our content marketing right now, which is like a totally slow growth build, and it's very difficult to write these posts, um, is a lot about math. Like if you took a look at the Bayesian Witch blog, you'll see like 15 posts about like the math of A-B testing suddenly. For some reason, it's not a popular thing to write about. The reason why is it takes a lot of time to think of good, entertaining examples that sort of like kind of click in your head of what these things are. It also, for a lot of marketers, in a lot of cases, the people purchasing these softwares are not as data-driven as a lot of other people. Um, they're often brand marketers, so they want to push button solution. the more data-driven you are, the more you kind of want to know what's going on underneath. But I can't, like... But explain to, like, the average marketer, like, what a poisson distribution is. Like, I can barely understand it myself. But, like, these are really... It's a kind of distribution, okay? It's a kind of distribution. <laughs> like, but, like, explaining what these things are and why they matter... Or, like, explaining how, you know, the same math that could be used to basically price an option could be used to, like, figure out click-through rates is really bizarre right now. Um, it's just not part of the everyday marketing vocabulary quite yet, and it may take some time. Um, where should-
0: I don't think it'll ever get there. It's, it's like, quite complex. Yeah, so that's my, that's my thing.
1: You know what? They said that in the 1980s about computers and Wall Street. <laughs> I guess what? I guess what? Like, the best-paying jobs on Wall Street are all highly quantitative and are all people who talk about these things all the time. And the reason I know this, my brother does this. <laughs>
0: couple opinions about that I'll, I'll not mention.
1: <laughs> uh, there are going to be so many of it. But like, but, like, there was this shift because it's just – it's. For certain things it's better. We can debate about the Wall Street part later, but like
0: I think it is better just that the I don't like the way it's marketed as a as like a push button, I don't have to understand solution, you just install this and away away you go.
1: The larger problem I see is that for a lot of these solutions, they don't tell you actually how difficult the implementation is.
0: Yeah, I saw a solution uh recently which I will not name. It's more of like a auto segmentation. I think that's the informal term, but they, they didn't mention how they do it, but I assume it's some sort of regression analysis to find out the segments within your data. So that's uh, part of what a data scientist does. But so they claim to be able to find, like, I, do, I don't want to be too specific, so in case like, people figure out what the product is. I don't, I don't want to insult any products on this, on this show, but um, basically it claimed to be able to find not only in automatic way correlations in the data, but also causations. So I was discussing this with a friend. It was like, this is just nonsense. Seriously, how, you know how difficult it is to find like causation um, automatically? I'm sure there are techniques, but it's so hard.
1: I mean, I, I honestly think even like I would never even say this about my own product, and I think my own product is like the best thing on the face of planet, right? You can't find causation. Like what you, it's just it's. You basically have to eliminate all other possibilities. And in a web environment, in particular.
0: Yeah, no, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's so hard. Even in a perfect world, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I've not read enough of the literature to be sure, but like, it's, I, I know it's a hard problem to solve next to impossible, maybe. So I was shocked that like, people were making these kind of weird, irresponsible claims.
1: I will admit though, irresponsible claims often have high click-through rates. So, you know.
0: I totally agree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there may be a reason outside why we're doing this, Probably because they use their own stuff to you know analyze it, and they the ridiculous claims one. So ridiculous claims it is.
0: Well, as a as a uh, conversion optimization agency owner, like I like the data. You know, I don't like I don't like it when people try to fluff fluff too much of the data. Okay, so let's just to wrap up. Uh, if you have a top tip or strategy. To improve conversions whether we've mentioned it or not this episode like what would you want them to take away
1: probably the one i'd want to mention that we've covered quite a lot of this episode is you know seasonality and that you know you need to pre-calculate out you know how many conversions you need your sample sizes etc but that's a minimum the minimum is don't be lazy and don't do the minimum remember that there are other factors in a frequentist test such a particularly seasonality that will affect the results and that you should try to control for them. The other tip I would say, learn more about Bayesian statistics and Bayesian statistical models. Find, Talk to whoever you have to, or, you know, contact anyone. Seriously, because A, that person will probably be so excited to talk to you back and B, and B, you will suddenly have resolved a lot of these issues involving, you know, checking and explicit worlds and weirdness and traffic. Some of the weirdness and traffic issues like is just these things are made so explicit that you don't have to worry about them anymore. It's more business friendly. So you should learn more about it and, you know, chase after it. It's, a totally underserved and underdone thing in conversions. Go Bayesian.
0: Okay. Well, look into it. You only have nightmares about exporting the data, so, but <laughs> let's move on. Can you tell us about uh, Bayesian Witch and your products?
1: Um, So, we are working on an API that does something called, we're calling it MultiBandits. Um, it's parametric personalization based on conversion so my example is that like given like 10 pages on an e-commerce site and 15 possible photos and 10 possible titles of an item and like what's the best option to show that particular person of, of many sets of options and usually the way you do it is you do like step by step by step and then like how do you bark it to like a conversion that may or may not happen very deep in the process while well, we figure that stuff out of you for you, As part of this process, we're releasing smaller paid pay tools, uh, like freemium tools. We primarily have WordPress plugins designed for affiliate marketers, but anybody really could use them for testing links and posts for, you know, content, what causes somebody to click on a link in a post. Um, we are about to basically release the upward, the algorithm for WordPress, and it will be so fully and it will be totally interesting if you want to, you know, test it we're like 90% done because like within the next two weeks I've had to make a guess you should like totally shoot me an email I really am curious <laughs> and that's really what's up
0: this episode should be live in about two weeks I don't know when it's gonna go live for so two weeks yeah
1: by that point you probably can try it. by that point you probably can try it but no promises
0: okay so is this a Pretty easy to install kind of thing, like a plugin.
1: It's basically a plugin. You don't have to do anything. Like, basically it's like installing, you know, any other plugin. The only other thing, extra thing you need to do is just get your API keys because the plugin needs the API keys to work. Uh, it's on the website. There are plugins. You can download them. You get five free bandits a month. And then it means like you can run five tests and five posts. Or like you have five tests you can run. You can only do one test per post. So... You get five posts for free. So, if you're only doing like links occasionally, that's that. If you're like majorly making money off affiliate links, though, we have like plans for like 40 links, 75 links. We could even talk to you and do like infinite links. But like, we, yeah. So, and those are paid, but like.
0: Awesome. Sounds like an interesting product to try out and and see how it works for whatever it is.
1: Basically, it's designed to get people to click on your affiliate links. I mean, like if you're an affiliate marketer, great. I I bet you have no idea what's, you know, causing people to click on your links. And I'm sure you probably need to create all that content way more than you need to figure out what's causing people to click on links. So we automate the entire process. So you just, all you have to do is create content and we choose.
0: Are there any plans to expand this beyond like just affiliate or headlines kind of thing?
1: Yeah, Um, there are specific reasons why we want to do plugins right now. Largely, we really want to be doing over the long term like parametric personalization. Uh, but the best way to do that is to get seed data. So we need seed data, and we're thinking that we can provide miniature versions of parametric personalization via bandits that are tracking other things. Like the title bandit tracks, for example, Twitter data. It tracks your Facebook data, which no one else does in any A/B testing tool right now at all. Um, so we're tracking that.
0: If you tell everyone like how to get. You
1: just go to our website and you download it.
0: So it's BayesianWitch.com, right? Yeah,
1: and Bayesian is spelled B-A-Y-E-S-I-A-N, which is spelled W-I-T-C-H.com. And you'll see our lovely logo. Her name is Jordana. You should say hello. She actually writes back to you if you write to her,
0: by the way. Well, first, uh, where can people find out more about you and get in touch with you, like you personally?
1: Personally, Shana C. S H A N C, S-H-A-N-A, letter C, at BayesianWitch.com. You know, if you're in the New York metro area in particular, I like having coffee. If you live in Queens in the New York metro area and you feel like stopping by, you may even get cookies. That's my hobby is to bake. (laughs) So, you know, have some awesomeness.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice. Okay, great. So I guess that's all for today. And thanks for your time today.
1: No problem. Thank you so much for asking me on. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Conversions Podcast. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast. We love hearing from you. Connect with us at our website, conversionspodcast.com, and let us know what you think.